One of the things I think that has helped my longevity is that I've always sold what I felt people needed, not what they wanted. And then it was my goal to get them to want what they needed. And I'm very good at that. I think that when it comes to a ranking of marketers, I am very low on the list of selling people what they know they want. I think there's a million people who are better at that than me. But getting someone to buy something that initially they think they don't need and don't want, that's really where my skill set is. And that my, the reason my skill set is there is because I wanted to teach the things that I knew were most powerful. Welcome to Pivot Me, where we give business tips and mental hacks so you can move past your biggest obstacles and live the life you've earned. And now your host, business advisor and performance expert, April Garcia. For years, I made large companies larger and rich people richer. Now I coach driven entrepreneurs to hack success, create more time and get better results through high performance habits, the multiply me method and a little mental gymnastics. On Pivot Me, I talk to thought leaders and experts sharing our successes, our many scrubs and how we can all use both to move us to the next level. Join us and learn real simple steps to pivot you and your business towards the life you've earned. Our guest today is Rich Sheffron. He is widely recognized as the internet marketing pioneer and one of the world's top experts on online business strategy. Rich has coached the world's top online business gurus. He's the guru to the gurus, including Russell Brunson of ClickFunnels and many more he'll mention today. He authored the first viral business report and get this part, he invented the first automated webinar back in 2009. Today, Rich runs Strategic Profits, which is a company on a mission to turn struggling opportunity seekers into profitable entrepreneurs. And if you are an entrepreneur that runs or wants to run webinars, then this podcast is for you. But we also get deep. We talk about how business is often filling this feeling that we've been seeking actually from our childhood. For example, maybe we didn't feel powerful. We didn't feel heard. And so we create that in our business. Maybe even it's freedom that we're looking for. And so we become entrepreneurs so we can have that level of freedom. We walk through development exercises company did and how asking for a free dinner tapped into his own feeling of not having control. And about 10 minutes in, Rich is going to give the single biggest productivity tip for people who aren't productive, which he says he is not. He also discusses how it's harder to walk away when you've already been successful, something that's come up on Pivot Me before, because we have this standard to uphold and we have identity that is tied into being successful. So it's hard not to be. We are going to cut right into this conversation Rich and I are having about where he started several businesses, stores, and eventually digital marketing. Let's listen in. Yeah, so built the store, became like the most popular store in Manhattan. We were the first store to bring diesel and a bunch of other brands into the United States. Then that kind of moved into music. And so we built a recording studio right in the middle of the store. And then that was at the like rise of electronic music. Then got out of that business, took some time off. Then I got hypnotized and 
enjoyed that. So I opened up a hypnosis center and that grew into a chain of hypnosis centers. Then 9-11 happened. This was in Manhattan and I didn't want to stay in Manhattan and it wasn't really good for the hypnosis business either. So got out of that business and moved down to Florida. And that's when I got online. And then online, yeah, let's see. I struggled for like a year or two figuring things out, then started to do well. I did some stuff with Jay back then, like 20 years ago. And then I coached a lot of people who are pretty well known in the space today. I coached Ryan Dice of Digital Marketer, Russell Brunson of ClickFunnels, Todd Brown, Ryan Levesque. I mean, you name people like in the space, most of them I've coached. In 2006, I wrote a report called the Internet Business Manifesto, which has been downloaded millions and millions of times. I mean, it was downloaded over 2 million times in the first five years. I don't really, it's been 15 years now, so I don't know how long, but that was really the beginning of like the freemium model as far as giving something highly valuable away for free. And so actually I did six reports after that first report over the next 18 months. So there was a series of the manifestos. Then I wrote two reports about attention and how attention was going to become the scarcest commodity online. And what were the implications of that? And then my final report was about uncertainty and how most entrepreneurs operate with certain constraints. And it was to teach a course on theory of constraints. Then after that, I did invent the automated webinar. I taught that to Mike Filsane and he built EverWebinar and Webinar Jam off that. I gave it to Russell Brunson because he had some tax problems at that time to get him out of those. Then, uh, so from 2008 to 2012, like we were kicking ass with automated webinars. And then in 2012, I retired again. Oh, I've also, I've worked for Agora Publishing since 2004. I have a billion dollar testimonial from Bill Bonner. I introduced Agora to the VSL. I saw John Benson invented it, but I saw it in 2006 when he did it for his first client, Mike Geary for Six Pack Abs and brought it over to Agora. And yeah, so when I retired in 2012, I still worked for like Agora and a few private clients, but stopped working. And then in 2017 or 18, I don't remember, I was in Nicaragua with Bill Bonner and Mark Ford. Those are the two owners of Agora. And they asked me if, if I thought they could have a $100 million business in internet marketing. And I was like, yeah, I think we could. And so then I ended up selling half my business, which was really a shell at that point to Agora. And then I got sidetracked on some other projects with Agora and then launched the business within Agora like a year and a half ago. Didn't like doing business inside of Agora. So decided to buy the business back and bought the business back at the beginning of this year, I guess, or end of last year. And that's kind of it. So the product that I launched in Agora that I brought out with me is a product called Steal Our Winners. That is every month we deliver like eight plus or minus strategies and tactics that are currently crushing it that the world doesn't know about because tactics work best when they're least known. And, and there's generally like a, a, a multi-year lag between a, a strategy being developed and when it first shows up in a course. It's everything from automated webinars to VSLs to you name it. I mean, John Benson invented the VSL in 2005 at the end. The first course on VSLs was in 2010, right? Like I First time I taught how to use reports to kind of like explode a business was 2011. I first did it in 2006. So it's, it's consistent. And so, uh, and same with automated webinars and all these things. So what's interesting to me is what I heard was so many pivots. It didn't sound like one industry naturally led into another. I mean, it sounds like you've got this long history of just going, well, I was doing this and I scaled it and it was successful. And now I'm doing this over there. 
how do you navigate those pivots? I mean, a lot of times our ego gets attached to who we used to be, or there's the fear of, well, I was successful at this. Will I be successful at this next thing? I'm curious how you navigate those pivots. So I have two answers. The first is, is that I'd say that I follow whatever I'm passionate about, right? And I also, I feel like you have the idea that you have one life to live and you have a limited amount of time on this planet is, seems very real to me and that I want to make the most of it. And it's not about where you end up as much as it is about the experiences that you have. And, you know, I went through a midlife crisis when I was in my early forties. And part of the reason for that was I had achieved all the goals that I'd set for myself at 40 by the time I was 30. And by the time I was 40, I just didn't really feel very happy and or fulfilled. And I had everything that I thought would make me happy and fulfilled. And so it really kind of occurred to me that I thought the achievement of these goals was going to do something for me. And, you know, it did for like a week or two, but that was about it. You know, so then I thought, well, what's the purpose of having goals if that's what you're going to get from it? So then I had no goals for a while. That was really not very effective. But then I thought more about it. And I was like, and when did I feel most alive? And I felt most alive when I was in pursuit, like when I'm pursuing something. And so then as I thought about that, then I thought, okay, well, then the only reason to have a goal is that it gets me out of bed in the morning to pursue, like gives me something to focus on and makes me feel alive. And it really doesn't matter whether I accomplish or achieve, because at the end of the day, like, you know, it really is, I mean, it's cliche, but it's really true. Like it is the journey. It's not the destination. And so the only purpose for me for a goal is whether or not it gets me going. If it gets me going mm -hmm. and in pursuit, then I'm happy. And I, it, I don't look at my goals as something to achieve. My goals are supposed to serve me to get me to do stuff. Right. And so a lot of people think who don't know me, I would say that I'm highly productive, but I'm not this, the single biggest productivity secret, I guess, in the world for people who are not naturally productive is to be very passionate about what it is you're doing. And so as someone with ADD and a bunch of other flaws, I guess, have always just followed whatever I was passionate about and recognize that there are at least in most things in life, the higher the highs, the lower the lows. And if you want the highs, you got to be willing to take the lows or at least be willing to risk it. And so, you know, I'd say I got more risk adverse once I had kids. My last daughter is about to go to college. And so now like I can be risk E again, because colleges are all paid for and stuff. So I don't really see the downside, I guess. I feel like, yeah, you just have a limited time on this planet. I wish there was a hundred things I could do. Like I wish there was time to be a jet pilot just so I could have that experience or, you know, a million other things. So once I feel stagnant and I'm not growing, I want to do something else. What I would say is, is that I've been in this industry longest and came back to this industry and I think that some of the reasons why might actually even conflict with the answer I just gave you. That's why there's, I said there's two answers. For me, at least this business, it's hard for me to leave because I have such built-in credibility and authority and I've done it for a long time and I'm somebody quote unquote special. That part is much harder to leave actually than the revenue or the risk or anything like that. The amount of freedom I have is kind of nice. And, uh, you know, when you sell information and 
consulting and stuff like that. You're selling air at the end of the day. There's no inventory. You know, it's not like other businesses I've had in the past where I've had to carry millions of dollars worth of inventory. Yeah. So this has been the longest business I've been in. I did leave it for five years to think about doing other things, but in the end I came back here. So, but I do think that any place that you settle in life, if you're not happy, you're, what is that? Like you're just, that part of your life is now dead until you die. And I don't, I don't sign up for that. So anything that's not great, I'm not willing to lock in for the rest of my life. Yeah. What I'm hearing also is that kind of the concept of the feeling of fulfillment is found in the progress. And when you weren't progressing towards something, when you checked off all of your goals at that point, you didn't feel fulfilled anymore. It's funny. We think the fulfillment lies in the achievement of the goals. And once we get there, we either push the goalpost out or we just sit around and go, well, I don't feel the fire anymore because we're not progressing towards something. We've got to progress. But in reference to the pivots, what I found was that Oftentimes, it's not necessarily the money, the revenue that holds us to the old role or the old company. It's the identity. It's, well, this is who I am here, and this is who I am relative to these other people. And if I leave that, I'm walking away potentially from that. It's almost harder to go after something after you've been successful than if you've never had success at all. Definitely. Definitely. And and it's just like, yeah, it's a self-esteem issue probably more than anything else. Like I can dress like in my gym shorts and a t-shirt and still be a big deal in this industry based on everything I've done as opposed to I go somewhere else. I'm just some dude in a, I'm some dumb jock or something. Right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, for sure. I, um, there's definitely that. And then uh, there's also, I'd say I'm a big fan of Werner Earhart and studied all his stuff. He's the, you know, creator of Est and Landmark and all that. And someone who was like one of his protégés, a woman by the name of Tracy Goss, she wrote a book called The Last Word on Power. And in that book, she had a definition of leadership that I just always stuck with me. And she said that uh, leadership is making a future happen that wasn't going to happen anyway, right? Because if it was going to happen anyway, you don't need a leader. Like it was going to happen, right? Like the only reason for a leader is to make a future happen that was not going to happen anyway. And so I find that to me, that's what I want to do, right? I want to do things that were not going to happen anyway. And so that tied into a bigger cause can be really powerful and very motivating, right? You know, another thing from Werner Earhart is that who you are right now, like every one of us, right? Not just you, like me, everyone is just how we wound up being. It's not really who we really are. It's just how we wound up being. And we look at great people and we think we're not that, but what allows a person to be, be great is committed to a cause that's bigger than themselves that rises them, forces them, right? To rise above their petty concerns to this bigger commitment, right? Like I'm sure Martin Luther King woke up certain days with a headache, but didn't cancel what he had to do that day because he was working on a bigger, a bigger mission, right? So same thing. And what I found, and I don't know if, if you've seen this or not, it's just a theory really, but I find that one place where entrepreneurs can tap into that, which is incredibly powerful when they do, is to be somewhat open to the idea that maybe their business in some way, shape or form fulfills something that they were robbed of as a child. If they can find that, there's tremendous power in that. Tremendous, right? Like, so I've always been very keen on entrepreneurship and teaching people how to be better entrepreneurs and how to grow their businesses and committed to that because I feel like being an entrepreneur is the only way that you can really be free in this world. And I felt like that 
was not something that I had as a child. And uh, so I ta- that that's very present to me. Right. And I didn't have freedom and I didn't have the ability to express like my thoughts. And so as an entrepreneur, you have the ability to do both of those things. And so it's to me, it's a source of passion and power purpose. It's the engine because I can identify what it feels like not to have it. And if I feel like I'm giving people what I was robbed of or what I didn't have, it can be very powerful. When did you realize that that's one of the purposes it was serving for you? Was there a moment? Well, so what happened was, is I'd say that around 2010, maybe 2011-ish, 12, as I was kind of deciding to exit part of it, you know, because I was going through this midlife crisis and stuff. And I started studying a lot of transformational stuff, everything I can get my hands on. And I'm a voracious student. And so I read all this and was very impressed by all this stuff that I had come across. And so decided that I thought it would be fun as an experiment. So I, well, one, I did a lot of transformational stuff. I went to Landmark, went to this thing called the Hoffman process out in like wine country. Familiar with all of it. It's my world too. Yeah. I then decided to do a few transformation workshops at my office for clients, but not by myself. When it comes to business, I can be very confrontational, like for the benefit of my clients. But when it comes to personal stuff, I don't feel that I have as strong of a leg to stand on. So, uh, you know, I don't want to do that. And I don't feel, you know, like that's my forte. First time I did it with this psychologist, Dr. Emery, uh, who was like a leader for LifeSpring. The second time I did it, I did it with uh, the head of new product development for Landmark. And then the third time I did it with another friend of mine who's a transformational type person. And each time was totally different, but the results that we got for people were really powerful. And so that first group, some of that kind of came to light in that first group. You know, because like the reason I wanted to do those workshops and they were great. I mean, they got great results. I just didn't enjoy people hating me as much as they hated me on Friday night, like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they wanted to kill me on Friday night. And these were some of my best customer clients because that's why they were, you know, that's why they believed in, in it to come. And then like thanking me on Sunday, but yeah, I don't, a little bit too much kicking and screaming to get them to their goals. Yeah. Not my forte. Let all that go to someone else. <laughs> yeah. And also not easy to sell that because, you know, a lot of people confuse like self-help with transformation, which is totally different. I mean, at least the way I'm defining transformation, it's like a total shift in your perspective and how you see yourself and the world. And so you naturally do things differently because the world shows up differently because you're different. Right. And one hurts a little more than the other. The transformation hurts. Because no one wants to give up their shit, even with it not working. Like they just want to cling on to the, you know. This is my shit. It's always been my shit. I don't want to move away from it, even if it hurts, even if it causes pain. So that is where that came up. And then also I'd say that I did, uh, I don't know, like about 30 years ago or something like that. I had bought from like a programmer who had done work for Tony Robbins. I bought the package of being able to go to all the seminars. And for like five grand as opposed to 50 grand or however much it costs. It is 85 now. Oh, wow. And so I did the fire walk, right? And the fire walk meant absolutely nothing to me. Like I walked on fire and I, and there were people around me that felt like now that they did this, they could do anything. And I did not feel that at all. I wasn't scared walking across it. Like, you know, I thought of this just basic physics and whatever, but like at ours, 
we did other things. And some of those things, I participated in everything. Some of those things I found to be transformational for me. I'm not saying that it would be the same for some people need to walk on fire. But that's their thing, right? What we did like on Friday night before we did this long exercise where, and I just, I'm explaining it because I think it's valuable for any entrepreneur just to think about this, right? Like we did a long exercise of like, okay, first figured out earlier on, they, they had kind of described their vision for their business that when it was completed, right? Identified like, okay, well, what's not there right now? Like what's missing? Okay. Recognize that what's missing from your business is not necessarily missing in the world. What are ways that you could get others to help you? So now we're going to take a break and we're going to take a break for dinner. And there is good news and bad news about dinner. The dinner break, the good news is, is two hours. You have two hours for dinner. The bad news is that you're not allowed to spend any money. You're not allowed to tell anyone why you can't pay for dinner, but you have to go out there and get someone to give you dinner. Good luck. That's it. Right. And so, um, so I was in a group and so I went first <laughs> and to me, like that was much more scary. Like, I don't know why I don't, maybe it's like, I don't like to be in weak positions or something. I don't know what it was, but I had to, you know, I walked into a restaurant, the maitre d' said, can I help you? And I said, I hope so. <laughs> and, and he looked at me a little strange and I said, me and my three friends here are really hungry. We can't pay for any food. Can you help me? And, and he looked at me really strange and he said, is this like a scavenger hunt? And I said, no, we just can't pay for food. And he said, hold on. And then he came back with like a styrofoam box of like wings and a styrofoam box of fries. And the two, three other people I was with, they went to different restaurants and then we had dinner. And to me, like it was, yeah, I, my heart was racing when I was asking the maitre d' for like a free meal. And it was really powerful. Like putting myself in situations like that is was more of a thing. I think everybody's got their own thing, right? But it stripped you of all the things we were just talking about before. Your name, your title, your influence, your income, all of that is gone. If you can't explain it and say, hey, I'm this person, you've probably heard of me, that all goes away and you're just some guy who can't pay for his meal. Right. Wow. Powerful. Yeah. Powerful stuff like that. Of course, people weren't too excited about it when they heard it. No. But, uh, <laughs> powerful and painful. Yeah. But, uh, but everyone got dinner, which was really cool. And then you go back and you look at this list of people to ask and you were, and it's like, okay, you just asked a stranger, you got a stranger to help you. People like helping people, right? Get that in your head. You just experienced it, right? Like now let's take a look at this list. Because you're, you're talking about making this essentially like, where's the gap in your business? You're here and you need to get there. And instead of how do you jump in and solve it? Or even how does your team jump in? You're, you're essentially doing a who exercise. Like, who do you know that can solve this problem for you? Something we say on the show all the time is someone you already know can solve your biggest problem in one day. Just find that person. That's one of the episodes that we do. What I love is you do this who exercise and then you kind of strip it down to, look, even a total stranger would help you. Imagine what people who know, like, and trust you are invested in you will do for you. What a powerful exercise. Yeah, it was fun. Because, you know, like, I'm a very big introvert. And totally, I guess, just the way I grew up, like, one another reason why that was so difficult and challenging for me is like, I've never even asked a girl out in my life. Like, I've always been so afraid of rejection that generally... 
the woman I was interested in at some point would be like, are you going to ask me out or what? Like, you know, like it's obvious you like me. It's like attraction marketing. They come to you. <laughs> but no, it's not even that. It's just like, I'm so obvious, but I'm so scared. But yet I have like one of the best networks, like Rolodex kind of things, like in, uh, in internet marketing and just like in this online space, right? And it's not intentional. It's happened, right? And when I look at like why it's happened, I tend to be someone just in general who gets excited about anything good, anytime, anywhere. So like if I went, got a great massage today, I'd be telling my friends tonight about this masseuse, like that gave me the great massage. That's just who I am, right? And so what I've made a point to do is kind of aggregate really talented people as relationships, right? Like people who I'm impressed by, people who I think are really good at what they do. And I like, so I'll just to give an example, right? Like one of my close friends is James Von Ellswick, who I happen to think is one of the very best when it comes to native media advertising, right? Native advertising. So like anytime I've ever had a friend of mine or a colleague or a peer who had challenges with native advertising, like I put them in touch with James and generally the conversation goes like, oh my God, you know that guy? I'm like, yeah, I know him. We're close friends. I can put him in touch with you and make something happen. So generally that does at the end of the day, like James is really good at what he does. So James gets them a result. They're super stoked. They feel like they owe me a favor. James got business. He feels like he owes me a favor, but I don't really consider myself a connector, even though that's what I'm doing for sure, because I'm not expecting anything in return. I know a few professional connectors. They do. That's their job. They got to make money doing that. I just like sharing great resources. Yeah. I mean, you don't do it for the payoff, but you're still a connector. I mean, you're just not doing it necessarily. You're not trying to intentionally monetize it, but you're doing it naturally. Yeah. I mean, nowadays, you know, I was telling you about before we got started, our core product right now, which is Steal Our Winners. For that product, we have over 120 contributors. So I'm talking to people all the time, right? Like I have three today, one with uh, a really great marketer named Scott Oldford, you know, and that's pretty awesome too. And talk about like a real dream job. Oh, Jeremy Blossom. Cool. My day to day these days, part of the reason I created this product is that I get to spend my days talking to great marketers who've discovered something new and they're sharing it with me and teaching it to me. Yeah. Let's talk about steal our winners. Can explain that first, explain what it is and explain who it's for. And then let's get into some of the details. Well, the principles of marketing never change, right? They're timeless. The tactics of marketing constantly change. And oftentimes what is different, something new and different when it comes to marketing generally tends to work better. In fact, like when I really studied direct response advertising, which, you know, like is primarily what internet marketing is like online marketing is all about. Um, but like since the beginning of time with direct response, the biggest breakthroughs have always been changes in format. So when the Magalog was first invented, conversion rates skyrocketed. When infomercials were first created, conversion rates were extremely high. When every single one of these vehicles of marketing, when they were first introduced, tended to perform insanely well. Over time, though, that degrades. As more and more marketers use it, it becomes more obvious. It's less camouflaged. It's more like this is an attempt to sell me. And I've experienced that myself, like in most of the tactics that 
I've either introduced or saw others and, and learned from others, they degrade over time. So like when I'm teaching about this, I talk about some things get better with age, like wine, some things get worse with age, like milk and marketing is much more like milk than it is like wine. And so there is this period of time when strategies first get developed, where generally they're not public, but they're being shared by insiders. And it's not that anyone's like trying to keep it a secret, but no one's purposely telling either. It's kind of in this no man's land. And so I've had that experience countless times where we were the first and because of we were the first, it was easy. Back in 2007, we were the first to stream from a live seminar, right? And we streamed the first hour for free. It was an event for our customers. And then we made it possible, like if you were a client of the coaching program, you'd get the rest of the weekend free. So you, we made some spaces available, but we had 10,000 people show up just because we were doing it and it was live and no one had ever done it before. And we had the snake ISDN lines through the hotel with the trucks out front. But, you know, as time went on to get 10,000 people or more to show up became more difficult. Like now it's not just something new. Now it's got to be marketed. So this is a mixture of a bunch of reasons, like what brought me to do Steal Our Winners, right? One of the things I think that has helped my longevity is that I've always sold what I felt people needed, not what they wanted. And then it was my goal to get them to want what they needed. And I'm very good at that. I think that when it comes to a ranking of marketers, I am very low on the list of selling people what they know they want. I think there's a million people who are better at that than me, but getting someone to buy something that initially they think they don't need and don't want, that's really where my skill set is. And that my, the reason my skill set is there is because I wanted to teach the things that I knew were most powerful because when I taught those, I would get better at those things too. And they would help me grow my business. And for all those types of products and programs, I always had to write like a free report, which really kind of set up the beliefs of what you needed to have in order to appreciate the product I was going to roll out in a month or two months later. Sure. And when you say free report, you're not talking about like just an article that you're posting. You're talking about something much more comprehensive. No, 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 no. I mean, some of these, my shortest one was the internet business manifesto. That was 31 pages that went crazy viral, uh, millions of downloads. And I wrote that the quick story on that. And then I'll get back to steal our winners. The quick story on that was that I had been coaching all these gurus and but no one knew who I was. You're the man behind the curtain. I was the man behind <laughs> controlling the curtain. It yeah. all. Not controlling, but just maybe lighting fires under others. Yeah. And so I had this, so I just finished the coaching program. It was like, it had been an 18 month. That was my second group or whatever. And I had this project with Agora that was starting in three months. And so I had this three month window of making no money and not doing anything. And I was like, oh, that's not good. So I decided to write a report, hoping to get like a dozen clients to take them through like an 11 week program. And that's the report that went viral and got me thousands of clients. There was a lot that went into that report. I wouldn't say that any one thing is what made it work, but one way of looking at it is that I was a business coach to online marketers and people who were trying to grow an online business, right? And at that time, people didn't see the value in business coaching. They wanted just to learn more marketing tactics. They thought that was the thing, right? But I knew differently based on my offline experience and what I was able to do online, that if you understood business, like this whole thing would be a lot easier. And most people didn't. And so 
I was selling something that I believed in, right? Like I wasn't, I didn't believe in it because I was selling it. I was, I was selling it because I believed in it. And back to your original point of be passionate first. And so when there's that disconnect, right? Like I know that my prospects would be better off with this. They don't know, right? They don't even think so, right? Like, well, what's going on there? It's like, well, I've had certain experiences that led me to that conclusion. They haven't had those experiences, so they haven't gotten to that conclusion. So if I can create something or write something or shoot something that can give people an accelerated version of my experience to lead them to the same conclusions, then maybe I might have a group of people that might be interested in what I have to sell. So if you can be clear on what convinced you, then you can potentially translate that. And when you're being clear, is that kind of telling the story of your transformation? I was here, enter product service experience, and then I was there. Is that how you're clear in that? That, but no, it's more like what were the things that like convinced me, right? That business, I would be more successful or anyone would be more successful understanding these business concepts than not, right? Like why, like what were those things? Well, when I discovered process mapping and I could make process maps of how our company should work and get shit done. Like all of a sudden I found it much easier to systematize and much easier to understand like all the steps of my business. So, okay, so let me show people process maps and maybe they'll have the same kind of click in their head and I'll show them like, so it's kind of like that, just leading them through the pivotal moments that kind of got me to be like, oh, right. So I've always had these kind of products that were very good, if I say so myself, and also designed to get the outcomes, which they did but not easily sold unless like I pre-did a bunch of stuff, right? Sure. Because you had to create the want. Is that why? Because it's because it, you had to create the want because they needed it, but they didn't know they needed it. So you had to come in and create the want. Yeah, I had to get them to see that their problems were not caused by what they thought they were. They were actually caused by something else. Only 3% of speakers, podcasters, and authors make enough money to do it as a full-time career. Man, that's bad. I came from the big business world. And if I wanted to scale my speaking career and release courses, I knew I needed more than just case studies and metrics. I actually needed a personal brand. Brand Builders Group is a personal brand strategy firm for thought leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs. And they work with some of the biggest names. They help clarify your message, expand reach, and increase revenue while monetizing your personal brand. I still do their monthly consulting package, but I've also done their workshops, webinars. They're all great. Don't be part of the 97% who can't afford to do the work they love full time. Connect with the same team I hired to help me. Check them out at pivot-me.com backslash partners and get on their schedule for a free call. And so like I never had a great customer acquisition tool, a product that was really designed to get people who did not know me to know me at a cheaper price, right? Because all I had were my coaching programs and and stuff that preceded free reports that lots of people read, but the products, yeah, they didn't have a market for the most part on their own. And so I decided that when I came back, when I got back involved in internet marketing, like I definitely wanted to have something that was inherently sexy in and of itself without like having anything else so that I could have something that people would want 
that also would be beneficial, but also be therefore much easier to build a business off of, especially because I'm certainly not the only business coach online these days. Uh, there might be like a million of them. So what I felt was really lagging. And I think, so there's a bigger thought behind all this, which I can just briefly mention, and then I'll get into Steal Our Winners more because Steal Our Winners is a reflection of that. There's been an explosion, which is all good, right? Like there's been an explosion of courses out there and platforms that make it so that coaches and people can have courses. And that's all wonderful and that's great, but there's a place and time for a course. So I was at an event last weekend in Nashville, Traffic and Funnels, and someone came over to me and asked me about Steal Our Winners. And they said, I'm brand new to online marketing, like is Steal Our Winners for me? And I said, well, that really depends. Person was like, well, what does that depend on? I'm like, well, here, let's say you wanted to have a webinar in your business, right? You're not going to learn all the ins and outs of a webinar from us. That's not ever going to happen. So you're going to need to buy a course. And there's plenty of great courses out there on the webinar process, how to get it all set up, all those kinds of things. Now, once you've gone through that course and you've done what you needed to do, if you want that webinar to perform better, if you want to improve any element, where are you going? Because it's a complete waste of time at that point to then have another course and another course and another course. You only have a limited amount of time. You only have a limited amount of attention. And there's a delay in great tactics getting to webinars. So when you have that webinar and now you want it to do better, we have the best webinar people telling the strategies that they're using right now to make their webinars better. And keep in mind for who's listening, which trains the trainers? Like he is the guru to the guru. So just to kind of set the stage of you see the behind the scenes and you're connecting all of these people, the Russell Brunson's, you're talking to them way back in the beginning. Yeah. And so we deliver just the tactics, right? Just the strategies and tactics that are new, that are crushing it, that most people don't know about way before the rest of the world finds out about it, way before it's in a course, et cetera. For most of the people that are out there, like kind of innovating, it's only a matter of time until those ideas get out there, right? Like the reason why people know that I invented the automated webinar is because I wrote a report in 2007, the end of 2007, beginning of 2008, that laid out the automated webinar with the map of how to do it and all the steps, right? Because it was only a matter of time until other people were going to like copy it. And I don't care whether people copy my stuff, but I prefer to get at least credit. So I might as well stamp my name on it and write, <laughs> write the report like, on it. <laughs> Yeah. So same with a lot of the people that are sharing their strategies. They know that eventually the strategies are going to be out there. So they might as well at least get the acknowledgement that it was theirs, right? That they're the ones trying to crack the code. Sure. Yeah. And so let me just recap what I'm hearing for the Stiller winners is this is someone that they've got an offering. Ideally they have a webinar or if not, they're going to go find out how to craft the perfect webinar. And there's lots of, there's books, there's courses, there's all sorts of stuff on that. No matter what it is, right? Like we're not going to teach you how to write a sales letter, but we're going to show you like the best ways to improve it. We're not going to teach you how to- To optimize yeah. all these steps. Yeah. Is what I'm hearing. Okay. Rich, as I'm listening to this, I'm thinking my, my team needs this right now. So one of the processes we're going through is taking the stuff that we teach and putting it, digitizing it. We've got one digital course and that, that's kind of the vision for the next three to five years. And so as I'm listening to this, I'm taking copious notes because I'm like, we, we need this. So if you're listening right now and you're thinking, yes, I want to automate my business in this way. Yes, maybe I've tried my hand at it, but we really need to optimize it. We've 
we, we kind of have the basics, but it needs to be a whole lot better. How does someone get a hold of this? Is there, where do they go to find out more about this product? To our website, which is strategicprofits.com. And you're not going to see it. You're going to scroll right past it. <laughs> You'll see how to get started. And it's like one, two, three. One is learn the principles. Two is grow your network. Three is steal our winners. And when you click on learn more under steal our winners, it will take you to a dollar trial. The right tactic in a business at the right time is explosive. And, you know, I'm biased. I like saying something like that obviously contributes to steal our winners, but, but it's true. And I've seen it time and time again, where someone changes just one element of their business and their business like five X's, right? Because all of a sudden they're getting outstanding performance in that one thing. I mean, it happened for Agora with VSLs. When I brought the VSL to Agora, conversion rate shot up 400% in the United States, 300% in France, 250% in Germany and across the board, right? But in 2017, there was no difference between a sales letter and a VSL. So that time is gone. You know what I mean? Like the time of throwing something up on a couple of PowerPoints and throwing it up and then expecting like an immediate boost, those times are gone, right? There are other things out there now and not knowing those is cost you tremendously as opportunity cost of what your business could be doing. And there really is no other place where these are shared and where they're aggregated, right? So feel like this was a Smart move on our part, I guess. And the results are insane. Just last week, Aaron Fletcher, who's a really well-respected uh, guru in his own right, actually teaches people how to create courses and does it in a way that I think is superior to most and actually teaches people how to create courses where the content of the course is the marketing, kind of like the product is the marketing, like Apple, right? And does an amazing job of it. Anyway, he texted me last week and he had followed this upsell process that Justin Goff, who has a copywriting mastermind, him and Stefan Georgi called Copy Accelerator, he shared in a upsell process that converts like at a very high rate. And so Aaron Fletcher saw that episode, watched it, modeled it exactly. And he called me and he's like, Dude, I made an extra quarter of a million dollars the last two weeks. It's insane, right? I'm, I put a $1,000 upsell behind this $100 product and I'm converting 30%. And like all of a sudden my card value is $535, like insane, right? And, um, and you know, and what's been really cool is that I've gone to a bunch of masterminds recently and um, as a speaker, just like invited and, uh and every single speaker, every single one I've been to in the last six months, probably the last, so I'd say like 10 of them, every event person has told me that's the single best presentation that we've ever had at this mastermind. And which before Steal Our Winners, I never got that. <laughs> and all I'm doing is saying like, okay, this is a strategy that I learned from Chris Evans and Taylor Welsh of Traffic and Funnels. And then I show that strategy. Right. Like it's not mine. It's like, I actually listen to their podcast. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I would like, I would just share some of the strategies from Steal Our Winners, which is why people join really expensive masterminds in the first place to get these types of tactics. Right. But there's a better way now, and that's Steal Our Winners. So that's what we do. Well, I will tell you, and I'm not just saying this because we're talking on the Pivot Me podcast, but our team will absolutely be joining that because it's something that's in. Uh, 
it's a strategy we're working on right now or initiative, I'd rather say, that we're working on right now. What's interesting is these conversations that you're having, Rich, that's your next report, right? So you're aggregating all this information and then that could be the next report that you're putting out. Well, I'm thinking about writing a report about like what I was talking to you about. You know, I wrote these reports about attention 13 years ago, right? And then when I met Eli Goldratt, who is the creator of Theory of Constraints, while I was teaching Theory of Constraints, I got the chance to meet him. And he said that, you know, he wrote the book, The Goal and a bunch of others. In Theory of Constraints, what he saw as the number one constraint in marketing was the offer, right? And so way of, over, of overcoming that was to come up with a, an offer that can't be refused. But I told him that I was like, mm, I think it's attention. I don't think it's the offer because if you don't get it, and nowadays getting attention is more difficult. And so he was like, oh, that's interesting. Years later, people at, at Goldratt and Theory of Constraints came to the conclusion that the biggest constraint period, not just in marketing or anything, is management's attention because you can only do so many things. And so I think that the whole even space of e-learning is a little bit slanted. And if I was going to write another report and was going to pick the topic today, I don't think I'm gonna, this is anything new to you probably, but you know, one way of looking at your business is just looking at it as a system for your customers, right? That like at the end of the day, right? If we're going to look at it, like from an academic standpoint, we would say, right, that Blockbuster and Netflix were in the business of watching a movie at home. Now, whichever system is easier to use is going to win at the end of the day, right? The system's goal is to watch a movie at home, but whichever system is easier to use will win. So your business is just a system to get an outcome. And either it's a better system or it's a worse system. And if someone can get an outcome investing an hour, that is superior to getting the outcome after investing eight hours, right? Like it's just superior in every way. And so I think that while courses are great, people have to start thinking about like other ways of packaging information. It's like one of the tenants that I operate under is that different is better than better. That like that better is objective and cannot be like judged in the beginning until after the experience. But what is obvious is what's different and you want to stand out today, you know, more than ever. Right. And so in doing things differently, especially if they're that difference is a good difference is very positive. Sure. I, I so want us to have another conversation because I, I want to be cognizant of our time, but earlier you made a comment about how entrepreneurs often are going and seeking the things that they didn't get in their childhood. And I really want us, cause you said, I don't know if you've seen that I have not just in entrepreneurs. I'm just thinking about a conversation I had with a client yesterday where she, she's actually in the corporate world and she's climbing the corporate ladder. And we were talking about making this leapfrog into the CEO position. And I said, well, what is it that the COO position will give you? And, you know, at first we talk about, you know, the stock options and the income. Did, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, your life's not necessarily going to change because you just told me you'd stay in the same house. You'd drive the same car. You'd stay married to the same person. Okay. So your life wouldn't change. What does it really give you? And ultimately what she said was that people would value her ideas and listen to her ideas. And what I heard was actually tied back to something from before. I immediately went, okay, where were you not being listened to? So to your point, yes, I have seen that in both the entrepreneur world and in the corporate world. There's so much power in people knowing that that's what they're seeking. It's the goal behind the goal because they think they want the, the leapfrog into the other role and it's fine to go after that. They think they want to scale their business and it's fine to go after that. But a lot of times they're seeking significance, self-worth, 
a platform where they are actually getting heard. And I think that does tie back to long ago. Can we have another call and talk about that and then talk about the power of acknowledging that and then how you leverage that, how you leverage that to grow your business, how you leverage that to, to just improve self-worth so you can deliver better. Because if you don't know that that's what you're seeking, we can seek it in negative ways. But if we can acknowledge that. Totally. You're, you're spot on. And I would just add that it can be destructive if you look to kind of satisfy that in other ways, for sure. And it's also like, I'm trying to think of an analogy. It's like, you know, you've got this Ferrari engine and you don't want to use it. You want to use a go-kart engine or something. There is so much power. If you can identify the emotional part of what you were deprived of opens up like a torrent of energy and it can be channeled into accomplishment. And so not using that is like deciding not to use like the turbo thrusters to your goals when it's sitting right there and all you got to do is flip the switch. It's so, and, and I'll take it a step further. This is why we need to talk about this and flesh this out. I'll take it a step further, not only acknowledging it in yourself as the entrepreneur and then how you leverage that. Cause I love that you said the Ferrari engine, cause it's analogy I've used before. Like there's so many people out there that are sitting there and they're Ferrari and all they're doing is revving their engine, but they've got their brakes on. I'm like, you know, take it out of park and you're going to fly. But here's the other spinoff of that, Rich, is recognizing it in others, recognizing it in your team and then helping them leverage that. So, I mean, it's a way to both improve yourself and your performance, but also if you see it from a team perspective of like, that's what, that's what he's l- looking for. That's what my product manager's missing. That's what my VP of sales is looking for. Yeah. And then you could leverage it for your team's benefit too. Yeah. I, you know, I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, you're totally right. This is a good conversation. All right. So, so we've talked about what we're going to talk about next time, because as soon as you said that, I thought you're right. I see it in business owners all the time. I see it in executives all the time. And how do we help them acknowledge it? And here's the thing, acknowledging it, that's the hard work. You're talking about transformation versus self-help. Let's just be clear. Growth is hard. It's not just you reading a book under a tree and going, wow, I'm enlightened. Let me go out, deliver better to the marketplace. It's have, you got to walk through the shit to get through it, to have those kind of epiphanies. We don't get to have those from a place of comfort. We got to get vulnerable. Some entrepreneurs are not very good at being vulnerable. We got to look at the things we've done wrong. We got to look at what we're chasing and why we're chasing it. But what's on the other side is, is friggin' amazing. I agree. I totally agree. So let me ask you this. So we've so we can wrap up the, this one and get to the second one eventually. Where can people connect with you? Where's the best place to get more of this information? So we have a free group on Facebook called Strategic Profits, which is in my company. And I also do two free live streams every week. I do it uh, Tuesdays from two to four and Thursdays from six to eight and broadcast on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on YouTube. And people ask, you know, generally I come in with something that I'm thinking about, like, and I just kind of work it out out loud, like in front of people. This past week, I just talked about selling memberships and subscriptions and stuff like that, because I have a lot of experience in that from Agora. And, uh, but it's also Q and A. So I can see all the comments that are coming in off all the different platforms and spend most of my time just interacting with people and answering their questions, their challenges. And so, yeah, so I'm available for four hours a week online and live where I just give my best advice I can to people who are passing by and having questions. So that's probably the best. That is valuable. So last question for the interview, which is, 
If you could tell the world one thing, what would it be? Mm. So no one in particular, just the whole world, right? Just the whole world. All and right. just a lesson you learned, which something you wish you would have known earlier. Well, it's not a business thing, but this is one that was very meaningful to me. It is always selfish to ask someone to sacrifice their happiness for you, right? It's never selfish to be unwilling to sacrifice your happiness for someone else. That was a person that I followed. I, I, he was dead before I ever saw him. Anthony DeMello, Jesuit priest. And this one presentation where he is talking to a room full of nuns. And he says, I want you to imagine the person you love the most and tell them that I'd rather have happiness in my life than you. And then, you know, some of the nuns have a problem with that. And they say, well, you know, that's really love is sacrifice and love. And he's like, well, wait a second. So would you want me to sacrifice my happiness just because you love me and you want me around? And she said, yes. And that, which was funny, but um, <laughs> he's, he's, you're marvelous. Um, but yeah, like what that, at least what that opened up for me was recognizing that, like how I need to live my life, who I want to be around and like, and it has to work for me at the end of the day, because I only have a limited amount of time on this planet. And if it's not working for me, then I need to change it because like, yeah, time is limited. So I'd say might not be the sexiest or most profound, but to me, that was a very big learning experience I had to go through. Man, Rich has done it all. I love that he shared at the beginning the, the different pivots that he went through, the different businesses he was in, some of them wildly successful and some he said, meh, I moved on, which was so great for us to hear that backstory. We see him now as this pinnacle of success, but again, everybody's got their backstory. One of his quotes I really enjoyed later on in the interview was, I thought the achievement of these goals would do something for me. And it did for about a week or two. I love that Rich shared that because it's what so many people have experienced. They think the goal will make them happy, fulfilled. This is from a man who has got to the top. He crushed his goals. And then he found the feeling wasn't what he thought. And that's because fulfillment is found in the progress, not in the acquisition. When we are progressing towards something, that is when we feel most alive, most on fire. It's not once we get it. That feeling is often fleeting. And I can't tell you the amount of people I have sat with had said, once I did it, whatever the it is, I wrote the book, I climbed the mountain, I hit hundred million in revenue, whatever it is, it didn't feel the way I thought it would. This happens a lot. But if we know that, that the fulfillment is found in the progress, then we can appreciate the journey more. The journey truly is the reward. Rich's idea that entrepreneurs build a business that gives them something they desired from their childhood, man, it really struck me. I had to overlay his idea with the thousands of conversations I've had with clients and on the podcast to, to pressure test it. And indeed, I've seen it too. Even when Rich said earlier in the interview, being an entrepreneur is the only way to be free in this world, he said that line, this really was an indication of what he himself was seeking in his own business, freedom control. We will put Rich's contact info in the show notes, but in closing, I'll leave you with this one parting thought. Rich said this line. He said, your business is a system for your customers. Your business is just a system 
to get an outcome. It really boils our businesses down to the bedrock. So let me ask you, what outcome is your business a system for? You see, when I think about Pivot Me, not, not my consulting firm, Maven, but, but just Pivot Me, the podcast, the academy, the outcome we're driving for is high performance, is inspiration, is taking ownership over your life and business. That's what Pivot Me must be a system for. And I can use that concept as a decision filter. Is this thing I'm about to do, this initiative I'm about to pursue in Pivot Me, is it optimizing for our client's desired outcome? For the system? So what is your business a system for? Thank you for joining Rich and I today and for being a crucial part of Pivot Me. I'm honored to be streaming through your car stereo, your your phone, Alexa, Google, maybe a shower speaker. I'm a fan. Hopefully you are too. Wherever you are right now, man, I am grateful to be there with you. Have an awesome day. Thank you so much for dialing in today. And don't forget, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you love what you hear, give us a five-star review. It means the world to us. Hit me up on Instagram at the April Garcia or check us out online at pivot-me.com. This is all made possible with the support of you listeners, the numerous contributors and our clients. Our music and production is by the amazing Rockwood Audio. Join me next time for more tips on how to hack success. And until then, make it a great day. Thanks, guys. You guys are amazing.